Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. The message for this week is from our current verse-by-verse study from the book of James. In each message, we will see some practical truths for living God's way in situations and circumstances that are often out of our control. As always, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service sometime here soon in Vancouver. You can find directions, more info, and more sermons on our website at citybaptist.ca. And I encourage you to take your Bibles with me this morning and go to James chapter number 5 today. James chapter number 5. And uh, welcome to City Baptist Church. I'm glad you're here today. And we've had a great week of serving the Lord together and of growing in grace. And I know uh, yesterday the kids had a fantastic time in their activity. And so uh, thanks to the Malazos and the Lalogs, who are downstairs teaching today, uh, for putting that activity together. And I told Jonah yesterday, uh, he's like, uh, he was looked all exhausted, you know, after the activity, which is totally understandable. And, uh, and I said, oh, and you guys are teaching the kids tomorrow too? He's like, yes, yes. So <laughs> extra, <coughs> extra prayer for him. And... Uh, and so I'm thankful for everybody who's been serving and for the outreach we've had this week and uh, just looking forward to what God has for us. We're in James chapter number five this morning and uh, we're going to begin in verse number one. Uh, but before we start the, uh, the message this morning, I just want you to finish this sentence with me today, okay? I want you to finish this sentence. Ready? Everybody's focused and ready? All right, so I'm going to say the first part of it and I want you to say the second part of it. Ready? More money... That's right. Mo money, mo problems. I didn't want to break any copyrights, but I figured you guys would do that today. More money equals more problems. James chapter 5, verse number 1. He says, Go to now, ye rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, uh, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. As James completes here, Uh, or begins this final section of his letter to those scattered believers that were all across the known world at the time, those that had been scattered from the early church in Jerusalem. He continues his letter of warnings, right? He's been a, a preacher of warning, hasn't he? He's been calling it out. He's been putting it in our face. And guess what? He's not going to stop now just because he's wrapping up his letter. And so he continues to uh, address things very, very clearly and very strongly. And the thing that he addresses today is the subject of money. The subject of money and the dangers that are associated with money. As well, he's going to talk about the judgment that is associated with a life that is devoted to the building and to the maintaining of wealth. So you say, great. The first time I go and visit City Baptist Church, he talks about money. You got it. You are a lucky person because it doesn't happen very often. And so today we are going to talk about the subject of wealth and finances. Now, money is interesting, isn't it? Right? It is interesting. Here's why it's interesting. We all need it, don't we? We all need money. And every single one of us cares about money deeply. You might say, no, no, it's not a big deal. By the way, everyone who says to me money's not a big deal are people with money, just so you know. And uh, it's, you know, money's not a big deal. It's not a huge issue for me. I'm fine without it. But listen, we all do care about money uh, deeply. That is for sure. 
And uh, money is also interesting because we just need it to survive, right? If we be honest, we need it to survive. And so because of that, we save it for the future. We watch interest rates. We pay attention to things like rising costs. I mean, every time you go to get gas in your car, you're like, what is happening here? You know, it keeps getting higher and then it's lower for a bit and you feel like you're winning the lottery, you know, and then it's back up to where it was. And then you check out interest rates and they're always changing and uh, housing is up and down. And the thing is, is that while we are very interested in money and it makes a difference to all of us, God himself has always been very concerned with money. He's been very concerned with finances, but he hasn't been concerned in the same way that we are. It's a totally different viewpoint in the way that God approaches money. And so here in this passage, uh, we see James attacking, honestly attacking the idea of money and wealth uh, because he saw it as a serious problem that was arising in the hearts of his society. Now, it's, I don't know if you noticed or not, but in those verses that I read, he did not use the term brethren that he's been using all throughout his book. And so what we understand from that is that James here is not necessarily speaking directly to Christians, but he's talking to unsaved people. Uh, I would call it the society in general. He's observing what is taking place all around him. And that's what is the basis really for him uh, giving this application. And of course, for us as Christians, the application is this, while it may be written to unbelievers, to us, the way I see it is that it is a warning to us as Christians as to how far we could go, as to the place that we could end up if finances and if, if uh, money is what we are only uh, pursuing. And so because it is the inspired word of God, we've got to pay attention to what he is trying to say here. And so James uh, is addressing money, as you saw in that verse, in a very strong way. And that brings up the question, why is he so upset about it? You ever, you ever say that to somebody? You know, when they're talking, you're like, whoa, 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 why are you so upset? Why is James attacking this so strongly? Why does it seem, even just a really quick read through those verses, why does it seem that he's almost promoting a negative mindset towards people who have money? Why does it seem that uh, he, um, uh, why, why does it seem, or why would God even inspire this portion of scripture? Well, before we get into uh, maybe some aspects of what he's trying to say, I think the important thing when it comes to talking about money is to view it as God views it, right? Every situation that we face in life, every cultural issue, every, everything that's out there, we need to address it in light of the Word of God. And so before we get into the main part of our message today, I want to talk about quickly a biblical philosophy of wealth, a biblical philosophy of wealth. Now, for whatever reason, my screens are not changing today. So if someone, uh, Christian, can you handle my screens for me or Lex? Lex has got it. So write down a biblical philosophy of wealth. Something happened and it's just not changing for me. So write that down, a biblical philosophy of wealth. Now, you got to remember, James was writing to a very different society uh, than we see today. In the society that James was living in, there was a great disparagement between the wealthy and the very poor. Either you were wealthy and you had everything that you need, in fact, you had more than you needed, or you were basically at the edge of survival. There was not such a thing as we see today as, as a middle class. It was very different. And what you see throughout the New Testament is that the majority of believers uh, fell into the category of being po uh, poor. We see that all throughout the Word of God. Many of them, especially the New Testament, they talk about their poverty and the, the difficult situation they're in financially. Of course, that does not apply to all Christians. There are many examples in Scripture of people who had means, who had wealth, but the majority of them uh, would have been poor people. And, and, uh, and so that's who James is writing toward. And the thing that I want us to recognize as we get into sort of a biblical philosophy of wealth is that there's nowhere in Scripture where we do, see, do we see God being against wealth, just so you know. There are some people out there who say if you have any kind of money, 
then you can't call yourself a Christian. That is not true. God is not against wealth, uh, but it comes down to this, and you can write it down. I've got it here on the screen. Money is not the issue. It always comes back to the heart of the individual. When you look at Scripture, it's not so much about the money, that being the issue, is that, that it always comes back to the heart of the individual, the heart of the individual. Paul said it so clearly for us in uh, 1 Timothy chapter number 6, verse number 10, where he said, for the what? Love of money. Oh, you can say it with me. Say it with me. For the love of money. It's funny. There's a lot of non-believers who know this verse. They like to bring it up. And for the love of money is the what? Root of all evil. Not money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And then look at this, uh, which while some coveted after, so if they covet after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So it's the love of money or the focused pursuit of, of money that is the issue. And when it is pursued in this way, the verse tells us that it can actually pull you from your faith and it can fill your life with sorrows. This is, this is the kind of things that Jesus talked about over and over and over again in his earthly ministry. He used the illustration, remember, of a camel passing through the eye of the needle, which was reference to a very small gate to get into Jerusalem. And he used that as a reference to describe a rich person getting into heaven, saying it's a very difficult thing. He also talked about a rich man who died and how when he went to hell, his money could do nothing for him in that place of torment. In Luke chapter number 12, he talked about a rich man who lived his entire life only to get gain and to build bigger barns and to just gain more and more and more and more. So what is God's view of wealth? What is a biblical philosophy of wealth? Well, it's very, very simple. And it comes down to one word. I want you to write this word down in your notes there. It is the word stewardship. Stewardship. Stewardship is what the scripture teaches us about wealth. See, God has given us everything that we have, hasn't he? God has given us everything that we have. There's nothing in our lives that did not come from God. And you say, well, I worked for it. I earned this thing. God gave you the ability to work. God gave you the ability to earn that thing. He gave you the health that you needed to accomplish that. And so everything we come from is from God. And we know as well in other scriptures that we will give an account to God for what he blessed us with. And so as I have here up on the screen, this quote, it doesn't matter how much God has blessed us with, but what we do with what God has given to us. And that's what it comes down to uh, in this subject of wealth. It's not about the amount. It's about what you do with what God has given to you. You think about Matthew chapter 25 and the parable of the talents, the amounts that was given to the servants. And remember, he gave uh, to one of them one and five and ten. And then when he came back, he took account. He says, what have you done with what I've blessed you with? And all of those that took it and used it for good and were able to uh, even uh, uh, multiply it and, and put it to use with the blessings that God had given to them, he, he blessed them for it. But the one who hid it away and put it away and said, uh, this is, I don't want to mess around with it at all, uh, he, was, he, was, uh, he was rebuked for that. And the, the point is that God, no matter what the amount is that he gives to us, he wants us to steward it. He wants us to treat it as if it is not our own, but to do our very best with what God has given to us. See, the overriding question for us this morning as we get into it is, what are you doing for the Lord? How are you managing the blessings? How are you managing the resources that God has given to you? And the reason I bring that up at the beginning of my message is because it is such a freeing way to approach life with that mindset rather than the mindset of our world, okay? Man, the mindset of our world is get as much as you can and as in short amount of time as you can. And if you got to run somebody down on the way, you go for it. But for the Christian, we say, whatever God has blessed me with, if he's blessed me with some wisdom and some uh, maybe ability in a financial way, 
Whatever it is, whether it's a little or whether it's a lot, I'm going to steward it. I'm going to manage it as if it's not my own. And I'm going to do the very best with what God has given me because that is God's desire for us. That is the right philosophy. And so understanding that idea, that philosophy of stewardship when it comes to finances, it helps us to look at this passage a little bit differently because what we see in the, in the verses we're going to cover this morning is a picture of somebody who approaches wealth management or their finances or their pursuits in life as someone who is strictly looking at it with a worldly approach. And since they are approaching it in a worldly mindset, there are some harsh realities associated to pursuing wealth the way that the world does. And that's what James uh, gets upset about. And you got to think about it. James grew up poor. I I think you realize that. The brother of Jesus Christ, he did not grow up from means and wealth. And so maybe he had been mistreated as a result. Maybe he'd been put down uh, as a result of that. And maybe that's a little bit brings that sort of harsh tinge that he has uh, in his approach to this. But either way, it's from the Lord. And so I believe that God has a lot for us today. And it's really a message of warning today. I told some people, they said, nice shirt. I wore a fun shirt because it's a tough message. So just so you know, that's kind of the system. So if I wear a fun shirt, it's going to be a tough message. <laughs> but uh, we're going to talk about money. So uh, we're talking about warnings and realities that, that when we approach finances in a worldly way, what we can expect. First of all, uh, this morning, I want you to see here that earthly wealth is corrupted. Point number one, earthly wealth is corrupted. This is the warning that James puts out there to the church. We'll look again at verse number one through verse number three. He says, go to now. Now remember, in chapter number four, Uh, Chapter number four, we saw that same phrase, and it means pay attention. Pay attention. So verse number one there in James 5. Go to now, ye rich man. And then he says this, weep and howl. I think I've got up here on the screen. Weep and howl. You notice that? Weep and howl. What a funny thing to say. I'll explain it here in a second. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and The rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. That's a big deal. (laughs) Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. James here says, pay attention, ye rich men. He's talking about people with money. And ultimately what he's trying to say is that a life that is spent in the pursuit of earthly wealth is going to end in sorrow is what he's saying. He uses the words weeping and howling. Those terms are typically attributed to somebody who's gone through great loss and is suffering and going through a great difficult time. And he takes someone who is grieving and sorrowing and having a difficult time and he attributes it to somebody who has great wealth. Now that does not match up with today's society's view of wealth at all, does it? If you go on like Instagram or something, and maybe you've seen these, uh, these really strange Instagram accounts, you know, rich people, and that's all they do is like post stuff about rich people or rich kids of Instagram or rich kids of whatever. And there's all of these, these posts out there and look at my life and look at all the things that I have. And, and uh, there's entire uh, Instagram accounts devoted to following Saudi princes and the things that they buy. And, and, uh, and, and what does it look like when you look online and you see uh, uh, things online and you see uh, uh, in the news and and uh, articles and uh, um, uh, TV shows. It's all about how great uh, wealth is. But here James warns us and he says the, the difficulty and the warning of wealth is that regardless of the wealth that you have, miseries are going to come. That's what he says. Weep and howl because miseries are going to come because wealth will not protect you from difficulty in life, will it? It will not support and it will not strengthen you in trial and loss. What new car can replace a rebellious or a lost child, right? 
What, uh, uh, what retirement savings account can heal somebody of cancer? What uh, expensive vacation can mend a broken heart? Misery is going to come even to those with money. So don't be deceived into thinking that money is going to solve all of your problems. We've all been guilty of that. If I just had this thing happen to me, then all of my problems would be gone, right? All of my problems would be gone. Listen, it's not true. He says miseries are going to come even to those with wealth. A very strange man by the name of Billy Idol said this. <laughs> that, I, I, the clenched fist, the fist kind of got me there. He says it doesn't matter about money. Having it, not having it, or having clothes or not having them. He said you're still left alone with yourself in the end. You're still left alone with yourself in the end. By the way, he's going to be playing one of the concerts at the PE this week. <laughs> Go and remind him of this quote. No. But think about it. This is somebody who in, in definitely the 80s, definitely the 80s and 90s, I mean, this was, this was the guy. He had everything. And he says, but in the end of it all, you're still just left with yourself. By the way, if yourself is just empty and broken and nothing there, guess what? Those miseries are going to come. Proverbs chapter 11, verse number four tells us, Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. What are you going to do when God's judgment comes? Here, God, let me write you a check and everything's going to be okay. I don't think so. Proverbs 11, verse 28 says, He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. So often we are deceived into thinking that if we just had some sort of financial windfall, then happiness would be there and everything would be okay. Came across a story about a man by the name of J. Paul Getty, and actually a movie was released, I think just a couple years ago, I have not seen it, uh, about his life. And uh, I've got a picture of him here, and uh, he was an American industrialist. He's somebody who founded the Getty Oil Company. And in 1957, I want you to get this, in 1957, he was named uh, the richest living American in 1957. The richest living American. In the uh, 1966 Guinness World Book of Records, they named him as the world's richest private citizen, the world's richest private citizen in 1966. Now, Getty was an interesting man. The, uh, maybe you've been down in LA and if you're heading down, uh, down towards the airport in Los Angeles there, you go past the Getty Museum and the art, uh, art museum. There's this whole section that's all dedicated to him. He donated 600 and something million dollars um, for all of that. And I mean, obviously this guy, you got to think, named the richest private citizen in the world. That's pretty unbelievable. So he had everything. He could do whatever he wanted. He had all the money uh, in the world. Famously, the story uh, goes, and that's what the movie really is based on, is that his grandson was kidnapped uh, when he was uh, uh, just, I think, a, a young adult, and the ransom was demanded of $17 million. This man refused. So they cut his grandson's ear off, put an envelope, and mailed it to him. But there was a mail strike, and it took over three weeks to get to him. And so when he got the ear and uh, ear in the mail, uh, he still said he refused. And so they made an offer, okay, just give us $2 million for your grandson's life. And he refused. And he bargained with the kidnappers to get them down to a sum of 2.2 million. You say, well, what, what's with the 2.0 million uh, dollar? Well, he bargained down to that amount because that was the amount that he could write off as a tax write-off. I'll get that. <laughs> as a tax write-off. Think about that. This is the kind of man that he was. He wrote it. He wanted a, a tax write-off on a ransom, I guess. He said this. He said, if you have no money, you always think about money. If you have money, you already think only about money. <laughs> but later in his life, this is what he said. This is a man who had, I think, five different marriages. He said this, I would gladly give all my millions for just one lasting marital success. 
I would gladly give all my millions for one marriage that was happy. What a tragic story. In verse number one and three, he tells them to weep and howl for your miseries. But then he talks about in verse number two, that your riches are corrupted. Now, again, this was an agricultural society at the time, and they had three standard sources of wealth in those days. Harvested grain that you could store up and you had. Your clothing was actually a great symbol of wealth, and, and uh, it said a lot about you. And then also precious metals and, and jewels. And James points out that hoarding all three of these, if you try to store them up and you hoard these things, that ultimately they are going to uh, be ruined. He talks about, uh, when he says here, your riches are corrupted, that's the idea of rotting grain and, and things going bad. He talks about their clothing, of course, and then he talks about their precious metals. And, and yes, I know James knew that they would not corrode. You say, well, if you put gold in the ground, it's not. yes, he understands that. He's making a point to us that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be corroded. It's going to be rusting away. It's not going to be any use to anyone else. And the point he's trying to say is that even though... Um, you could gain all the, all the riches that you want. They are always temporal, even if you are careful in your accumulation. See, the wealth that these people had became a self-destructive curse. He says their corrosion will testify against you. It'll eat your flesh like fire. It's just going to all go away eventually at some point. Well, what does this warning mean to us? See, the Bible doesn't tell us that we cannot save for the future. You realize that. We are to actually store up. We're to, we're to make sure that we have a provision for our family and even for uh, our children and our grandchildren. But what he's saying is that when it comes to just vastly accumulating wealth only for our own comforts and our own pleasures, God is never all about that. <laughs> he's trying to say here that, listen, you're hoarding all of these things. You're saving up all of this stuff. But at the end of the day... It's doing no one else any good because all you're doing is saving up and storing up for your own pleasure. You're not doing it for anybody else. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 tells us to lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. I think James stole this verse from his brother, his older brother. <laughs> but lay up for yourselves what? Treasures in what? Heaven. Treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do, uh, thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. As Christians, we are not to be people who are simply hoarding up and building up wealth only to ourselves. That's the point. We are to save. We are to make sure that our needs are met and we're able to provide and we're able to provide for the future, but just to continually accumulate, 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 simply for our own pleasure, for our own, uh, uh, for our own desires, then that is outside of the will of God. You can maybe write this down. I, I love this quote. When we yield to God's will and use what he gives us to serve him, then things become treasures and we are investing in eternity. I thought that was so great. When we yield to God's will and we use what he gives us to serve him, then things become treasures and we are investing in eternity. See, what we do on earth is recorded in heaven and God keeps the books and he pays the interest. God notices. God sees. And it's such a tragedy when believers, when Christians, heap up treasures for the last days, as it says, rather than laying up treasures in heaven. Because ultimately that wealth that you are working so hard to have, that 
position you're, you're working so hard to get, eventually it's going to be corrupted. And as I said just a couple of weeks ago, listen, church, our lifespan is just a drop in the bucket of eternity. It is just a pinpoint in the timeline of eternity. And yet it consumes everything that we, and we think that this life and this world is, is everything to us, but we have to think about an eternity with God to come. And, and laying up treasures and just building up wealth for the sake of building up wealth and hoarding it away and putting it in the ground, it does nobody else any good and it does not build up treasures in heaven because all you're doing is building it up for yourself. Building it up for yourself. I read a story um, this week about a lady in 1976. She passed away. I think it was like on Easter Sunday, 1976. Her neighbors found her, an old, older lady. And when they went into the house, the coroner and the people who had gone into the house said that it was one of the most just absolutely terrible scenes they'd ever seen. This woman was about 50 pounds when she died and just wasted away to nothing. Her neighbors uh, had been responsible for bringing her food for years. And they brought her food and they'd feed her, and, and, uh, but she just wasted away. She'd refuse it. She didn't want any help. They would continually try to help her until eventually she, was just, she died of starvation down to 50 pounds. And, uh, and, and passed away. The, the newspaper report said that in all accounts, it appeared that this woman was completely penniless. But as they began to go through her home, they discovered two keys to safety deposit boxes there at the local bank, the bank that she was a part of. And when they went to those banks and they opened up the first safety deposit box, there was $200,000 in cash, plus 700 stock options in uh, AT&T, which this was in 76. So you can imagine how much, you know, uh, those would be worth today. But even back then, it was worth quite a bit. The other safety deposit box that they found had another $600,000 in cash in the safety deposit box. And yet this woman died of starvation, not willing to spend a single penny to even care for herself, let alone anybody else. What a tragedy to see, though. And I've heard other stories like that before where people are so, my, they're so focused. This is mine. I'm not even going to take care of myself with this. They're trying to build something. Listen, for us just to store things away and hide it away and hide it away, and it's not any good to even us or anyone else, especially not for the Lord, it's wrong. We are not to live our lives as hoarders of the blessings that God has given to us. And so he warns us. He says, listen, it's, it's, you're, you're still going to have misery no matter how much money you've got. Uh, it's going to, eventually it's all going to go away. It's going to be uh, just useful for nothing. That's the first reality. But the second reality here in the passage is that earthly wealth is corrupting. So earthly wealth is corrupted. It's going to go away. But also earthly wealth is corrupting to the soul. It is corrupting to the person. Look at verse number four. He says, behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud. They crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and, doth, and he doth not resist you. Man, this is sort of disturbing to read this, to be honest with you. His description of corruption that can come to a person because of wealth. These wealthy people he describes for us were people who had others depending on them for their very well-being, and yet they would defraud them. They would hold back their wages. Now think about that for a moment. Now remember, this was a society where if you worked a full day, you were paid for a full day at the end of the day. So literally, we say, I'm living paycheck to paycheck, pastor, you know, or church, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. No, they were literally living paycheck to paycheck. Today's wages bought tomorrow's food. 
that make sense? Today's wages. And so when they would go out and they would work a difficult job and a hard job and they would come to be paid, the rich man would say, hey, I'm not going to pay you today. And he would defraud them of their wages. And what could they do about it? Maybe some of you experienced that at your workplace before. I know someone in my life uh, that had that happen to them where their company had to just come out and tell every single of their 100 employees, we are not paying you this week. Yeah. Their employee count, I think, dropped to about 50 <laughs> by the next week. Everyone in the company eventually went under. But that's what these wealthy people would do. They would defraud them out of rightfully earned wages. Today, of course, we know things happen like that all around the world, where the poor work very difficult and dangerous jobs for low wages, not receiving fair treatment for their labor. But I want you to notice there in the verse that it says that God hears their cries. You see that? They had nowhere to turn but cry to the God of the Sabbath. That means the Lord of hosts. We see it in the Old Testament some 286 times. In the New Testament, it's only used here, except in Romans where they reference it. Uh, he references a direct quote from Isaiah. So just if you wanted to fact check that, you can do that. Uh, it's in Romans. But it's only used the one time in the New Testament. And it's talking about the Lord of hosts, meaning the Lord over all things, over all people, over everything he sees and he knows and he, and he, and he recognizes what is happening. And so that's what he's, what he's saying is that even though they're being mistreated, the Lord of hosts hears and he sees these things. And to me, that's such a comforting thing when we're oppressed, right? When we're feeling mistreated, when we're feeling like someone's taking advantage of us, we can still go to the Lord and recognize that the, righteous, or the unrighteousness will not go unpunished, that God is paying attention. And so uh, the, the, that's one of the corrupting characteristics we see. The second one that we see is that not only do they add to their dishonesty, but they add a, uh, an attitude of wastefulness and of self-indulgent living only for their personal pleasures. Look at verse number five. It said, ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your heart. See the rich here that he's describing only use their wealth for their own lustful desires. There is no thought of anything or anyone except how they can satisfy themselves. They're like the rich man in Luke chapter number 19 or 16, sorry, in verse 19, where it says there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple, clothed in purple and fine linen. Again, it's talking about his clothes. Look at this. And he fared sumptuously every day. Wouldn't that be great? Fared sumptuously every day. That's like if you went to purebred for breakfast, right? Yeah. <laughs> every day. I mean, sumptuously. He had, he had everything that he could possibly want. But notice this. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate. I mean, right at his entrance to his home, who was full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Gross. This is the danger here. I want you to see this. This is a corrupting mentality. The danger of pursuing wealth is that you become all about yourself so much so you do not even notice a need right outside your door. There are so many Christians today, unfortunately, who are so consumed with self, so consumed with building wealth and so consumed with uh, uh, doing whatever it is that they want to do and whatever goals they have for their life and whatever it is that they want to accomplish that they would not see a need if it was right in front of them. They wouldn't even see it. Whether it's in the church or whether it's uh, uh, in their community, they wouldn't even notice it. We've all been guilty of this, all been guilty of this. And yet we see this rich man having someone right in front of him. He's eating sumptuously every day and he couldn't even wrap up a plate. Hey, send that down to Lazarus. <laughs> Think about it. You know, put some things on a plate and put some, you know, foil over it and take it down to Lazarus there so you can have a good meal. I know that guy's really suffering. He couldn't even do that. James described this kind of person as if in the day of slaughter. It has kind of a dual meaning, meaning he lives his life as if a feast is going to happen every single day. They're going to slaughter an animal and have a big feast or... 
The other meaning is that, hey, there is a slaughter coming. Like a person just sort of, like the, the, the animal, and I know some of you are, are, are uh, vegetarian, and I'm sorry for describing this, but, uh, you know, there are places where they just fatten up animals. <laughs> That's all they do. I have a friend of ours who owns a, a pig farm, and, and uh, some of you know them as well, and guess what they do? They fatten up those pigs. Guess what? Those pigs aren't seeing like, oh, man, I'm not going to eat that. No, they, don't, they have no idea. They're just getting there. They, hey, this is great. This is all, oh, man, more food? Sure. How much more? I can put some more in there. I'm going to eat it, right? And they don't even know that the slaughter is coming. The person who's so consumed with their wealth is as a person in the day of slaughter. They're just consuming, consuming. I'm just going to build, build, fatten up. Well, there's a day coming, a day of judgment that is coming. Verse number six shows us another way that money can corrupt us. He says, ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Now, you remember in James chapter 4, he talked about the church family that was fighting and killing one another. Remember that? And we were like, whoa, that's quite the church fight. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he was speaking in a way that, uh, uh, that didn't necessarily mean literally whipping out swords at Sunday service and killing one another, but the idea of how it is so destructive. And it's the same viewpoint here that we see in chapter 5. Now, obviously, you could make an argument, and I certainly, we would understand these kind of stories where... Maybe because a person's pursuit of wealth caused someone who was inconvenient or someone in their way to lose their life. We've heard stories about that. And more than likely, of course, people who were poor and who could not pay their debts might have been thrown into prison, taking away their livelihood, and then might have passed away and their families dying of starvation because of that. And God considers all of those murder, of course. But either way, what he's saying is that the whole thing is just an unjust system. It's an unjust system. The poor had no power to defend themselves and then they had to turn to God, but the point that he's trying to get across to us, I believe, is that these wealthy people, because of their pursuit of money, because of their pursuit of just their own possessions, they began to, taking, uh, began to take advantage of other people is what it comes down to. They're taking advantage of them. They saw these people as a means to an end. They really didn't see them as people. What a danger this is for the Christian. You say, well, I, I, I'm not you know, stealing someone's wages. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even an owner of anything. I don't have my own business. Here's what I'm trying to say. We should never look at one another and you should never look at relationships as something that you can leverage into a source of wealth. I think I have that up there on the screen just so we can get that. We should never look at one another and our relationships as something that we can leverage into a source of wealth. That's what these rich people were doing. They were just using people. They were just using them up and throwing them away. Every single Life has value. <laughs> and it's such a danger when we allow a mindset of simple wealth building <laughs> to come in and to take over our viewpoint of other people. Now, today it's a lot more subtle. I, I think in those days it might have been a little more obvious. Now, granted, I don't, none of you are necessarily, I, don't, I mean, that, not that I know of. <laughs> you don't have huge corporations and, you know, you have child labor and all of this. I don't think that any of you do. But today it certainly is subtle in the mindsets that we develop, though, one towards another, right? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm not going to try to, I'm not trying to step on any toes today, but I think we've all received a Facebook message from someone we haven't talked to in a long time. And you're like, oh man, awesome. I haven't talked to them in like 10 years. This is so great. Hey, Paul, how's it going? And then down the paragraph a little ways, hey, I'm, I'm selling this product. <laughs> or 
Have you thought about your financial security for the future? Would you like to join a wealth building opportunity that I have come into, right? And you're like, oh, nice to talk to you, you know, great to meet you, you know. Now listen, I'm not against us selling things and all of that. But do you know how that makes me feel when that happens? Like they listen to their leader and then they leverage their relationships <laughs> to get gain. And it made me feel like this important in their life, right? Okay. That should not be the mindset of the Christian. Where we simply view one another as, oh, maybe I can get them to sign up with me on this and I can get them under me and for this or, or whatever it may be. And it doesn't just apply to pyramid schemes, okay? Or triangles, sorry, right? Triangles, triangle schemes. <laughs> um, it doesn't just apply to those things. And I'm not preaching against pyramid schemes, okay? I mean, if you're at the top, great. I hope you tithe, all right? That's great. <laughs> I think you understand what I'm trying to say. Leveraging relationships, lever leveraging even a commonality of faith simply for the purpose of gain getting gain and financial benefit. Listen, that's not right. And as I said at the beginning, Scripture and the Bible is not against making money, but the danger is that rather than be a true friend to someone else, we only see our friendships and we only see our relationships as a means to an end. As a means to an end. Now, I realize you might be saying, all right, pastor, we get the point. We understand what you're trying to say. Uh, why is James attacking finances like a wolf on a tourist tent in Alberta? Why is he attacking? <laughs> Look that story up. It's pretty impressive. Why is he attacking in this just incredible way? Here's what I want you to notice. Even though this is a characteristic, these characteristics are of a world without Christ, we must never imagine that we would be immune to those kind of attitudes and that corruption. Never think that, oh, I'm a Christian. I, I would never. I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. And so we cannot think that we are immune to that kind of corruption. There are great dangers and there is great corruption that can come from a life that's pursuing wealth. And each of these illustrations that we see here goes directly and in opposition to God's desire for the believer. Because here's the thing, as Christians, we are not hoarders, we are generous, right? As Christians, Scripture tells us that we are not to be unjust, but we're to be fair in our treatment of one another. Scripture tells us do not live for self, but live for God and live for others. Scripture tells us not to victimize others for our own gain. As Christians, we do not see our resources uh, simply for our own, but we see our resources as a tool for the Lord that we are simply stewarding, not to fulfill the lust of our own flesh, but to make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ and to help other people. That's how we view Scripture, and that's how we view uh, this subject of finances. And James is saying, warning, warning, warning. This is where you could possibly end up. This is where you could possibly end up. Now, I, I don't want to get super... Uh, intense this morning. But as I've preached through this and as I've read through this, the Lord has showed to me in my own life sometimes where those characteristics pop up in my own life. Man, I, I'm not going to, I'm not, here's one that's very relatable. I hope, <laughs> I hope, but I know that this has happened in my life and I know in yours, maybe I'm the only one, but if there's ever been a moment in your life where you're like, well, man, if that person passes away, I might inherit a little money. And then you begin to imagine your life with inherited money based off of the death of someone you love. <laughs> or at least they love you enough to put you in their will, right? <laughs> if you know they're there, some of you are hoping I'm in the will, right? We, think about it, right? 
Okay. And so we all relate in this way. And we all find ourselves in positions. And I, I won't give illustrations of all of them, but we do. We find ourselves in these situations. And James is saying, warning, warning, warning. The pursuit of wealth is fleeting. It is corrupted already before you try to earn it for yourself. And it's corrupting to your soul. It's corrupting to your attitude. It's corrupting to your relationships. And you've got to be aware. You must be aware. And that's why he says, go to now. Pay attention, you rich people, because miseries are going to come. It's going to come into your life. So the question this morning is, how are you stewarding what God has blessed you with? Remember, it's not about the amount that you have, but what you do with what God has blessed you with. 1 Timothy chapter 6, God gives this to us here. 1 Timothy 6, verse number 17. He says, charge them that are rich in this world. I'm just going to stop for a second and say that is us in Canada today. If you make more than $10,000 a year, you are richer than 89% of the world's population. $10,000 a year. Some of you could sneeze and make $10,000. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to make $10,000 in Canada. If you make more than $10,000 a year, you are richer than 89% of the world. We are rich beyond most people's wildest dreams. Okay? Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Nor, I love this, trust in uncertain riches. Do not trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. A, a life that is walking with the Lord, you will get the most fulfillment and enjoyment out of life walking with God, not trusting in uncertain riches. And here is the command in verse 18, that they do good and that they be rich in good works. I love that. Be rich in good works, not in your bank accounts. Ready to, oh, tough word, distribute. How much have you distributed lately? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? How much of your wealth have you distributed? I'm not talking about giving obediently and faithfully to the Lord. How much of your wealth have you distributed lately? Ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Look at verse 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation. Now, some people look in there like, oh, well, I'm going to build a good foundation. I'm going to, that's what I'm doing. Here's what it says, though. Against the time to come. Okay, so that's what? What's coming? The end time, right? You're, you're the end of your life. That they may lay hold on eternal life. This is not talking about that we somehow buy our way to heaven. The point is, is that we're building up treasures in heaven, are we not? That's the whole idea here. Building up treasures in heaven. And so those that are rich, and these verses are very pointed here, that we must be people who are being rich in good works, willing to distribute and share, not just building it up for ourselves. That's a great lesson for us when we ask the question, how are we investing? How are we stewarding the finances that God has given to us? It is possible to be so consumed with financial security, right? It is possible that we become so consumed with financial security that we fail to follow God's leading to help other peoples in their need. That we fail to follow God's leading in missions or just in a spirit of generosity. It is a sad thing when we would, as, as, um, as the Old Testament tells us, rob God in order to provide for our own futures. To me, that's just like completely just doesn't connect, you know? Okay, God, I'm not going to give to God. I'm not going to give to the Lord obediently. I'm not going to give to the local church in order to save up for myself. I mean, it just, it just doesn't connect. <laughs> You're not going to enjoy life. Can I just tell you that? You're not going to enjoy those riches. Uh, someone told me this a long time ago. God always gets his. <laughs> you ever notice that? God always gets his. Somebody said that to me a long time ago. And guess what? 
I've seen that be true many, many times. Many times. And so when we're faithful in giving to the Lord, God's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of you. I'm yet to see the righteous begging bread, David said. And so it's, it's, it's wrong of us to hoard it to ourselves or say, I'm not going to give to God so that I can, I can put it away or save or buy this or whatever it may be. No matter how, how much we try to connect it in our minds, this is a wonderful thing. Listen, God will take care of us. It is wrong to be consumed in our financial security so that we would disobey God. We should be frugal, but God does not condemn us uh, for uh, buying a house or, or anything like that. God's not against those things as long as it does not prevent us from obeying His Spirit when He prompts us to give. I don't ever want my life or my financial situation to be such a place that I have stretched myself so thin that if God says, I want you to give to that need, that I can't do it. Does that make sense? I think it's a great way to live life. And that's what we've tried to structure. I'll get a little personal with you. I've tried to structure our life. Though we don't have much, we don't ever want to strap ourselves in such a way that, we are, that every single penny is so strapped that if God says, I want you to give, I want you to help, I want you to do something, that we're like, we can't. I want to be able to give. I want to be able to follow the Lord's leading. And that's a great mindset. Again, it all comes back to stewardship, right? God says, I'm going to give you this. Here you go. It's on loan. But God may say, hey, I need some of that. <laughs> I need to help, help somebody over here. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? Okay, some of that cattle is in your bank account. And God said, hey, I mean, you know, why don't you help this need? Why don't you give to this, uh, uh, this thing in the church or missions or, or a personal thing? God wants to be able to have access to it. And we can't just be like, this is mine, right? <laughs> don't say it in that voice. It's kind of weird. You know, this is mine, right? <laughs> this is all mine. I'm going to hoard it to myself. I think you guys understand my spirit behind this. This is not a message because our church is in debt or anything like that, okay? God has blessed us, by the way, because of the faithful giving of His, of his church. Honest, honestly gained prosperity is a gift from God. <laughs> but we must acknowledge our stewardship of that blessing and be faithful stewards and not fall more in love with the master's goods than the master himself, okay? So many times we can fall in love with the blessings rather than the blesser. <laughs> and we need to trust Him in those things. I want to encourage you this morning. Let's be a church that lives for the Lord and for others, not just for ourselves. That's what it comes down to. Let's prove God to be true in trusting Him to provide for our needs. Let's be generous. Let's be giving in all that God has blessed us with. Let's lay up treasure in heaven rather than just laying up treasures on this earth. Man, what a tough passage today, huh? I've been dreading it all week, <laughs> just so you know. That's why I wore a fun shirt. Um, it's, it's hard to preach these kind of things. But I'm thankful that you guys love me enough and you know my heart behind it. Just trying to get out what the Word says, and it's important. God needs to speak to us sometimes in a, in a straight way. We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as